Hey, agency owners, it's time for a new episode of the Agency Blueprint, the number one podcast for agency owners looking to discover strategies for scaling an agency to seven figures and beyond, while reducing stress and getting your personal life back. I'm your host, Robert Patton, international bestselling author, agency scale partner, and founder of Creative Agency Success. Before we get started today, I'd like to send you a copy of our brand new book, The Practical Agency, written specifically to help creative agency owners go beyond the creative side and build systems to simplify and quickly scale their agency to $100,000 a month. Go to creativeagencysuccess.com forward slash practical agency to claim your free copy. And now for the show. Hey, everyone. We are joined today by Amy Foley from Inbound Back Office. Amy started her entrepreneurial journey in 2011 when she left her corporate job to have, a more, to have more flexibility and time with her family and started a small virtual assistant business. The business evolved and with the help of her co-founder, Michael, into what is now known as Inbound Back Office, which provides back office support for marketing agencies. Agency ha- uh, Amy has over 25 years of administrative experience in various industries, including manufacturing, real estate, accounting, marketing, software service, and more. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thanks for having me. Well, everyone, we, in, in prep for this episode, Amy and I met, and what we thought would be really interesting to, is to talk about her journey of growing a full-service agency. So on this podcast, if you've been a, a long-time listener we talk about productization, specialization, value-based pricing, largely exactly the opposite to how Amy has set up her business. And Inbound Back Office has gone in a completely different route. And I thought that it would be a very interesting conversation for us to talk about that journey and really dive into how Amy was able to build the agency to be full service and ultimately allow for her to still be able to extract herself in business, which I just found so incredibly interesting. And I thought that it would be a good kind of change in juxtaposition of what you're typically hearing on this podcast. Amy, to start us off a little bit, would you mind sharing a little bit about Inbound Back Office and sort of who it is that you work with, how it works, what exactly Inbound Back Office does? Yeah. So we provide essentially staff augmentation for marketing agencies. So Really, we do a lot of the execution side for marketing agencies and just covering gaps that they might have, whether that's because they're just a small shop and they don't want to hire in-house or they're trying to cover when people leave and they haven't hired someone yet or maybe cover a maternity leave or something like that. So we can really fill in those gaps immediately on demand for a fraction of the cost of hiring someone in-house. So it's all set up like hourly. So you're just paying for the time that's spent, no minimums, no subscriptions, no retainers, none of that. And, you know, we've got teams that really span anything a marketing agency could possibly need from content to graphic design, to website development, social media, paid media, you name it, we have it. (laughs) We also do a little bit of strategy, but we find that most agencies really like to do their own. So, you know, that's kind of there if people need it, but mostly we're on the execution side. I just find that so incredibly interesting, not only not offering it to the public, but offering it to agencies specifically, but an hourly model that is profitable and working and non-specialized offering the gamut of what a full service agency can offer, but also offering it to agencies just I think if you've been a long-time listener, you can understand why this piqued my interest. So I imagine that growing inbound back office was really a truly a journey for you. 
But I'd like to start with the amount of work that you're doing, your time, and really how you managed to grow the team. I know that you have a substantial size team. And then largely, you're not really involved in the day-to-day of the business anymore. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that journey from you from day one inception of inbound back office to to now and how it grew and how you were able to navigate that. Yeah, sure. So it started as just me. Uh, I was working, I was just doing freelance work for anybody who needed help, any business owner who needed help uh, with administrative tasks. And one of my first clients was an agency owner. And so I learned a lot about how agencies worked and specifically inbound marketing and HubSpot and that whole world. And, you know, that agency kept referring like all of their agency friends to me to help them. And so that's kind of where that niche kind of came from. It wasn't something that I intentionally said, I really want to work with marketing agencies. Um, It just kind of grew out of just like that's who needed the help. And so, you know, slowly I added little helpers who were just, you know, contractors and they were just helping me with different tasks. Nobody really had, I was really like, the contact, more like a project manager. And then I had people helping me do all of the work. And at some point, the agency owner of that initial agency approached me about partnering. And so that we, you know, he's like, I've got all of these agency contacts. I know how agencies operate and what they need. And you are great at hiring great people and having, you know, having these processes and and the quality and the operation. So together we could really make this a big thing. And so we started incubating it within his agency first, just to kind of work out the kinks and make sure we had all of our, you know, everything all buttoned up. And then in 2018, we brought it out on its own. So it's been a full-fledged business since March of 2018. And we've just been growing it ever since, keeping it super simple and just making sure that everything is completely documented and so that it is easily replicated. Yeah, and so today, Michael and I have really set it up in a way that if something happened to us, it could essentially run without us. We've got an operations manager and a client success manager who are really, you know, directly under us and considered part of the leadership team with Michael and I. And then we have a layer of managers that each manage their own service area. And then under those managers, we have their direct reports. And so that's kind of how it's set up. And so, you know, the managers manage their team and then, you know, Nikki and Michelle manage the managers essentially. And then we kind of are there for more mentorship at this point than anything. So a couple of just frame questions. How many clients are you working with typically now and how many team members do you have? Yeah, I would say that we, in a given month, so it's hard to keep track because people, agencies can start and stop whenever they need us. So, you know, it makes it a little bit challenging to kind of have any kind of predictability, but uh, we have anywhere from, I would say like 80 to 125 clients in a given month. And we have approximately 70 part-time employees. They're all part-time employees. So, I mean, that's, that's a substantial size, right? Anywhere between 80 at the low end of clients to 125 is quite a few clients and then 70 team members to manage. It's quite a lot of people. And how much are you working? I mean, you said you're more mentorship now. So are you working part-time yourself? What does that look like? I mean, essentially Michael and I do a lot of, you know, trying to figure out different ways that we can add 
to the company as far as like maybe different services or like right now we're working on a beta of like a new kind of service going into like flat out recruiting, which is a little different than what we are currently doing just to see if that is something that would be viable. So we're constantly like, we're doing more of like the, you know, vision work, I guess, if you will. And I do a lot of the networking. So I used to do all the sales. And part of that was just, you know, getting leads. And to do that, I was doing a lot of networking on LinkedIn. That's kind of like been my sole way of capturing leads. And I still do that part. Someone else does the sales now, but I do, I still do all of the networking and all of, you know, the kind of relationship nurturing, because that's kind of how I built it from the beginning. So I kind of want to keep that going. Yeah. Super. So, so incredibly interesting. So your, your job now pretty much is just bringing in leads or making relationships with people and talking with people like me on podcasts and, and speaking and, and promoting inbound back office rather than actually being in the day to day. That's, I would imagine looking back from where you were when it first started to now that just, I mean, it's a completely different life, I imagine. (laughs) So from a, a reporting structure, you mentioned you've got a couple sort of layers of management and reporting structure from an ops manager to a client success person, and then the managers in between, depending on the vertical of their offering um, and what their specialization is. Can you talk about a little bit more about how exactly your that that management team is both reporting and engaging with you so that you kind of have an understanding of what's happening in the agency day to day, where things are working, where things are not? how that kind of gets bubbled up to you and how those, that, that reporting structure kind of works a little bit more. Yeah. So I personally like to make myself available to anybody on the team who, you know, wants to talk to me about anything. So I am pretty active in our Slack, but I do have to kind of let it go and let Nikki and Michelle kind of do their thing and kind of be that, that person first. But essentially, Michael and I meet with Nikki and Michelle every week. So we get, you know, updates on what's going on with the team or any issues that might be happening. You know, sometimes they need our kind of input on how to handle a certain uh, situation or they're just, you know, letting us know this is what's happening and this is how we're handling it kind of thing. And then the managers all have a monthly meeting with Nikki and Michelle to kind of go over any issues or questions that they might have in managing their own teams or working with specific clients, things like that. It's really kind of like a mentorship that kind of, you know, rolls downhill to the rest of the team. Let's kind of take a step back for a moment in the journey of your systems in the back end, right? Like you said that at one point you were doing it as like a beta initially where you were testing it out with one agency and figuring it out, testing out all those kinks. I imagine there was a couple of kinks that you discovered after the fact as well, but would love to hear a little bit about your your journey of process development, allowing for you to manage quality of what is being delivered to your clients when you're considering all the different types of things. So like what is your what does your process infrastructure look like and checklists and all that sort of stuff? If you can give us a little detail on that. Yeah, absolutely. So when I first started and and I was the main person uh, doing all of the management of everyone, because I was that person between the team and the contact or in the client, I would check over all the work before it went. It had my name on it at that point, and I was not willing to let that go to chance. 
So I checked everything before it went to the client and I created processes by doing Loom videos of me walking through every single thing. And if it was something new that I had never done before, I would walk them through how I would do it if I were doing it. And then I also created Google Docs of like step-by-step, here's how you do everything. So there were two different sets of instructions depending on the best way that they, you know, were going to learn it. And then I would check it and then give feedback, send it to the client, et cetera. And so we kind of kept that type of process going throughout the company. Now, obviously there are some services where the individual people who are doing the work need to have direct access to the client. And there is no like middleman. Things like paid media because there's access involved and, you know, it it just doesn't make sense to have a middleman. It just mucks everything up. So, you know, there's a little bit more oversight where the manager is working directly with the client and, you know, making sure there's no issues on a very, very regular basis. But on a team like graphic design, where the graphic designers are kind of in the background and the manager is the one who is interacting with the client, she's checking everything to make sure, you know, it's right or good before it gets to the client. So many of our services are still set up that way today. Yeah. So you've got training materials, checklists, things like that, that ultimately are going out. And then now you have your team as new things are being done. Your team are continuing to expand upon that documentation that allows for things to be updated and adjusted and all of that. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And then, you know, we keep everything in a centralized location so that if should someone leave, we don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. We have all of that documentation still. And, you know, everybody updates things as they need to be updated throughout, you know, things change. Um, so they're constantly being kept up to date. So it's it's pretty simple. I won't say easy, but it's pretty simple sure. to bring someone new on <laughs> and put them in that spot. <laughs> and from a direct reporting perspective, how many clients are your managers typically working with in a given month? And is there like a max capacity that you typically see? And how many people do they have reporting to them? Yeah. So again, that's going to vary greatly depending on the service area. I've We've got a couple of teams that have probably, you know, like 17 members. Um, there was even a time when there was a department of one. Our strategy team is just one person because it, we just don't have the work for it. But the way that we have handled capacity. So each person, because they're all part-time, each person decides how many hours they want a week. And so the manager will assign them clients and client work based on that capacity. So every team's capacity looks different. So it the manager's really managing a lot of that capacity. And then once, you know, like we hire someone new to handle new clients. And then once that new person reaches their capacity, then it's time to hire more if we want to take on more clients for that service area. So it's just kind of like a rolling capacity. Um, but as far as how many clients each service area has that, that will vary greatly. You know, I would say the content team probably has, you know, probably every client we have does content at some point, but we've got clients who use multiple services and sometimes they'll use a project manager and not interact with the service areas directly and just go through the project manager. So it's really that's where it can get to be a little bit of a challenge with, you know, nailing down kind of 
like reporting, like you said, like trying to be able to predict like, you know, how much are we going to grow by the end of the year? Well, it's really hard to tell. <laughs> yeah, because it depends on what your client's needs are and what their activity looks like. So th let me kind of just summarize what I'm hearing. And then I'd love to talk about like your sale component. So from a lead gen perspective, you primarily utilizing one channel LinkedIn as your lead gen source, you have a sales team that's actually engaging with prospective buyers or new agency clients in exactly what inbound back office is all about. And then from an operational perspective, you kind of have your project managers or your managers being both a resource management individual as well as typically speaking, depending on the vertical, being the direct client contact, managing the client relationship. And then you have your your success, your client success team that's ultimately making sure that quality controls there and everything's kind of being managed as well, following checklists, following systems, processes, depending on that specific vertical of service. Is that kind of summarizing it all right? Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to this, one I just want to hit for all listeners, you know, for me, I do not believe in a one size fits all. Obviously, with this conversation, this is very counter to how I typically would would suggest things be done. Not saying that it doesn't work, because it obviously is working for Amy very well, and it's profitable. She's not involved in the day to day. She seems quite relaxed in, in the conversation <laughs> we're having right now. And for a lot of full service agency owners, you're I, I definitely see a bit more frazzle in a lot of agency well, owners that are in the same type of business model that Amy's in. So it, it obviously does work for some people. And just wanted to reinforce the fact that there isn't a one size fits all what someone's journey is does not need to be yours. And you should focus on doing what it is that's meaningful to you and, and ultimately the business that you want to have. Don't let myself, don't let Amy or anyone else tell you what your life should be. It should be what you want. I'd love to hear from like a pricing perspective. You're an hourly billing. I imagine each different vertical has a different cost because of the specialization in it and what the market rate looks like for that. But have you seen any challenges? And if you have, how have you managed them with new client acquisition when you're looking at maybe agencies utilizing like the likes of Design Pickle or Upwork or Fiber and being able to outsource to out of the country? Do you encounter that often? And if you do, how do you manage that conversation? Yeah, so I would say a lot of times people are coming to us after trying those options. And, you know, for one reason or another, our team seems attractive because they have consistency. Uh, so we try really hard to make the team member that they're working with or members they're working with very consistent. You know, obviously, we, we really try to retain our people long term so that it's essentially like that person is working for the agency. So that's one of the attractive features. And also, you know, if they're paying for straight time that's worked. Uh, which, you know, I know when I started, I tried really hard to get away from the hourly model because I did not want to trade my time for money. And like, even today, like it drives me nuts because I'm like, ah, like we should not be doing this. But agencies really appreciate it, at least the ones that we have worked with. They really, they really like the model of, I can see the value I'm getting because it's time. Like, and so, you know, when we're tracking time down to the minute with no rounding, no minimums, nothing like that, they really see that, okay, yeah, I get the value here for the time that's worked. And that seems to be another attractive feature for them. And the fact that we're all U.S.-based, 
is another thing that I actually have heard when I was doing the sales calls, I heard that quite often is that, you know, oh yeah, we tried, you know, the cheaper route to go overseas and, you know, that works to a point, but when you're looking for higher level people, maybe, you know, better communicators, things like that, you're really not, there is a limit when you're going overseas. Not to say that it's bad. I mean, my very first VA was in the Philippines and I loved her. She was awesome. But there comes a point where you just need a little higher level and you need you need US people if you're, you know, in the US. I mean, what I what I often see when it comes to um, outsourced overseas team members, right? Like you can potentially get designers, things like that. But the the communication level, like the cultural nuance, the way that we utilize language will change. Even if they speak English very well, the way that we utilize the language is different. I mean, even from West Coast to East Coast, we utilize the language differently, right? So right. just understanding that cultural implication is, is, is incredibly important when you're talking about relationship management. What I find super interesting about what you just shared was that a lot of cases, agencies are coming to you after having tried that essentially a cheaper resource, right? And then suffered the pain from doing that, which then ultimately sounds like makes the sale for you a lot easier, that value that you ultimately provide quite a bit more obvious. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that, you know, our team, because they are U.S. based, they can interact directly with their clients and and the agencies don't have to worry about that communication. And also, you know, our team members are really flexible in that, you know, our agencies, you know, they have processes and tools already set up for their agency. They don't want to, you know, try to fit this other workflow into what they already have. So our team members will be added right to their systems and tools. So like one of our team members might be in five different project management tools, but, you know, we're good enough and organized enough to be able to manage that so that our agencies don't have to reinvent everything when they work with us. So it's like super simple just to plug in and they can try us out pretty low risk with a very small project because there's no minimums, because there's no like, if you're, you know, you don't have any work for us, you just don't contact us until you do have work and you won't be charged at all. And we'll still be here that it's really easy for them to try us out with something small. And then when they have success and they're like, oh, this is really great. Let's try something else. And um, so it's just super simple to even get started. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like you have figured out your rock solid offer, right? A very easy, low barrier of entry. You have more, you're working with the vast majority of your prospective buyers have pain point and needing someone to be able to help them being able to get out of the work that they need. You're positioned it and created it in a model that ultimately mitigates risk while also highlighting the outcome and value and making it very turnkey for them to be able just to immediately implement. I'm sure that that meant loads of procedural process oriented things. And sounds like that was something that you started, which I want to highlight for all of you is that the thing that Amy highlighted at the very beginning, she did kind of like this beta round very early on, understanding what those kinks are so that she could figure out what exactly was the model. How do you actually create systems and processes to allow for this ultimately to work, creating that quality assurance mechanism that allows for the work to actually get to the client in a meaningful way, rather than kind of thinking about it after the fact and trying to solve problems at scale. If you did it backwards, right, and had gotten to scale and were working with 125 clients and then now try to create processes, 
I would imagine your life would be very different and you would probably be a little less relaxed than you are right now. Yes, indeed. <laughs> well, since this is an audio format, I did also just want to point out that she's got these two lovely paintings of the Golden Girls <laughs> immediately behind her that I was absolutely in love with, just like so epic. <laughs> There's actually four. I have all four, but you can only see two. <laughs> yeah, I can only see the two right now. That's amazing. Well, if the audience or listeners are wanting to get in touch with you, Amy, what is the best way for them to reach out? LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn, Amy Foley, and also our website, inboundbackoffice.com. Awesome. Such an incredible story. I found it just so incredibly interesting. And as I'm, as I'm sure you remember from the moment that we, we first connected and we were talking, I was like, my, you probably literally saw my ears kind of perk up <laughs> it's been just so phenomenal having you on the show amy thank you so much for joining us absolutely thank you for having me once again thank you so much for carving out the time to hear what was shared on today's podcast Easy. now chances are if you're an agency owner listening to this podcast right now then you may be feeling like this. Because I was finding myself constantly overworked within our business um constantly like too busy with fulfillment or too busy with uh, customer service needs. So I didn't have the time to go think about how am I going to close this person or what I'm going to say to this person or what am I going to do with this or what's the next strategy I need to do. Now, of course, this podcast is here to help you with a lot of things. But at one episode per week, it's going to take a while for us to share everything you need specifically for your situation. So if you're really serious about committing to fixing the problems in your agency now, so you can build a truly profitable business and get your life back, then I want to invite you to apply for the Agency Accelerator Program. I'm not so stressed during calls thinking, oh my gosh, I got, I got to sell, I got to sell, I got to sell because if I don't sell, I don't make our I don't make our numbers, you know, and if I don't make our numbers, I can't pay our people. If I can't pay our people, then our business is down. This program is designed to help creative agency owners get to 1 million in revenue per year in 12 months or less. I char typically charge one client a $3,000, anywhere from 2,000 to 3,000. Now I'm uh, moving towards only 5,000 and up. And my latest client that I closed is a $10,000 client on a monthly retainer. We only accept about 20% of the agencies that apply to this program because we want to make sure that we only work with people who will commit the time, energy, and resources required to take what they learn in the program and use it to create an agency of their dreams. You've taught me and you've taught us how to build this within our company that if X happens, this happens, boom, 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 boom. Like it's so systematic that it's gonna work for itself. That has given me the sense of like, oh, I know what the heck I'm talking about. I know what I'm good at. I know that I can deliver upon what I wanna deliver. And it, yeah, I gained hell of a lot of confidence for sure. So if that's you, then I want to invite you to apply today. Just hit the link in the show notes to apply for the Agency Accelerator Program or go to creativeagencysuccess.com forward slash apply. Thanks, and I'll see you inside the program. Thank you.